0: thank you miss laura we appreciate that this is our first time here as uh officially leading our band so we want to thank her you may remember that uh michael patterson right as school started basically in fact he was there at the first day of school and then gone the next um took a call out to uh some western state called California <laughs> that no one cares of anymore, especially not me. But uh, And Miss Laura has filled in ably, and we appreciate it. I don't know where she just went, but we thank you. She's been hiding back there, so thank you. Thank you very much. Can we say thank you again? <laughs> of course, we appreciate all of our... Academy teachers who are doing such a wonderful job, from pre-K all the way up through, and we're blessed by them, and they're tremendous individuals, so thank you, and we even like you, Brian, so thank you as well. We're not going to clap for you, though, today, sorry, but we love you. We're talking about money today. How many of you would not come to church if you had known that? Some people hate it when preachers talk about money. Those you have heard me say from the pulpit here, money is one of the most talked about subjects in all of the Bible. So we are just talking about what the Bible talks about. Money is useful. It is powerful. It's important in our lives. And we want to talk, we really want to become that church that we read about, that Dr. Reese read about, the, the church in Achaia that... Was ready, that, they, that they'd been ready since last year to give in abundance and to give with, with zeal. They didn't want to, to give in a way that, that was an, an, an exaction. Paul says, We don't want you to, to give a gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. I think sometimes we feel like we have to give, it's being exacted from us, being pulled from us. Most people I talk to, you know, as we talk about finances, we're looking at our finances here at our church, and we're looking at some things, uh, out of the total giving units in our church, so that may mean a a family together or a single individual, but out of the total giving units in our church, we've discovered that only one in four give to the local church budget. So 25%, that's even far below uh, the general average within Adventism. We found that one in nine give to the building fund, We're a little better on the tithe we're about uh a little better than half on tithe and so we rejoice in that which is better than the average but the but the budget aspect is a little bit lower and as i talk to people about it i find over and over again that it's not that people don't want to be generous it's that it's that they struggle to see where am i going to get the money in order for us to be generous with our money we have to really know how to use our money in every area of our lives, and so we're going to talk about that somewhat today, because money is useful, money is powerful, money can be very beneficial to our lives. I, I learned the, the, the power of money, or at least the perception of money, uh, on a trip. I remember a trip I went on with four of my friends. We drove to Chicago. We left on New Year's. Uh, Eve, I think it was, or maybe New Year's Day, I don't remember but we drove from Dayton, Ohio to Chicago. The five of us, we were juniors or seniors in high school. I believe we were seniors in a high school. I really did have good parents and responsible parents. It was just a different time. but we drove to Chicago, and uh, I feel bad sometimes. I think, man, people are going to think, "Where were this kid's parents at?" Uh, Mom and Dad, I know you watch every week. I love you, and I apologize. Um, so we drove to Chicago, the five of us, and we went to this Holiday Inn. Uh, it was one of these newer fancy Holiday Inns. It was a Holiday Inn Biodome. I don't know if you remember those. I don't think they kind of fell apart, but they tried to do this, this Holiday Inn Biodome, and there was a, there was a uh, it was January, so we were excited about it. They had a, a water slide and all of these things, and we had called and made a reservation, and when we showed up there to, to check in, We walk in, the five of us, we've been driving since maybe uh, one in the morning, that's the way we did it. Uh, Hey, let's go to Chicago. Okay, let's call, make a reservation. Okay, let's drive to Chicago. Five of us drove to Chicago. And we walk into this place looking, I'm sure, bedraggled and the five of us and five teenage boys uh, walking into this biodome. And they said to us, "Uh, you can't uh, get a room. We said, well, why not? They said, well, state law prevents us from Uh, uh, renting a room to anyone under the age of 21 or something like that I don't know what exactly it was but we thought to ourselves well no but we made a reservation well we're sorry we can't do it so we went back out to the car and we decided okay what are we going to do well before we go to Motel 6 or Motel 8 or Motel whatever they were um, let's try this fancy Marriott now by the way we didn't have money but my friend's mom was paying so that's why we were trying the fancy Marriott so let's try his fancy Marriott. So we said, well, we have to come up with a better plan because they said it was, it was uh, the law that we couldn't do it. And so we said, what are we going to do? So we decided, here's what we'll do. Chad has the deepest voice. He's also sick at the moment. So there was a lot more resonance down there in my voice down there. And, uh, and they said, so we'll send him in. But first we'll dress him up. So they so you know we were planning on going out while we were there in Chicago so we had brought nice clothes so we dressed up in our best we put on a sport coat I put on my buddy's sunglasses and when I got my friend's mom's cell phone uh, he brought his mom's cell phone with him and at that point in time young people no one had cell phones except for if you were you know of some sort of status or or rich I actually didn't have my first cell phone till I graduated from college can you believe that how many of you have cell phones Yeah so that my five-year-old asked me the other day, when am I getting a cell phone? I said, when you get out of college and have a job, just like I did. So, George <laughs> which Christina tells me, no, we need to be able to get a hold of, I'm like, oh. No one ever was able to get a hold of me and I turned out just fine. Look, I'm your pastor, you all love me. <laughs> Anyways, so I took in the cell phone and I walked in there to the Marriott and I put it up to my ear like I was talking on the phone and in my very low voice, I said, Yes, I'd like a room. And I put down my credit card on the thing and I, I, I turned around and started talking like this. And I heard them say, Okay, Mr. Stewart, just hold on one second. And they gave us a room. We got to stay in this fancy, nice Marion. And I thought to myself, You know, the appearance or the, the belief of status does matter. Looking like I had money had, or that I was of, of some sort of something in society had power sometimes we treat money like it's evil because it does have power but 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 it doesn't have to be that power can be for good money can be for good if we follow the principles of the bible in regards to money we can harness that money and its power to get the maximum gain we can invest it for the maximum gain and not have it become the maximum drain upon us there are three keys to getting the most out of the money that God, to the most out of the money that God has given us. The first, I want us to turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, we're gonna be going to several verses today, so have your Bibles out, please. Psalm 24 and verse 1. This is the first key we must remember to get the most out of the money that, that, that we have in our lives and the investments and the and the, and the resources that we have in our lives. Psalm 24 and verse one reads, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the river. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In, in other words, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, both the unbeliever and the believer, All that they have is God's. Both the rich and the poor, all that they have is God's. Both the educated and the uneducated, all that they have is God. Both the hard worker and the lazy person, all that they have is God's. All that you have, all that I have is the Lord's. The house, your house, your cars, your clothes, they all are on loan from God. And just in case we want to try to exclude money... In Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, it reads that the silver and gold, yes, God says, even the silver and gold are mine. So if you pull out your wallet right now, in fact, why don't you do that? Just pull out your wallet right now. Just pull out your wallet, all, everyone, if you have one with you, no one wants to do it. Are you shaking your head no, you don't want to do it, or you're not going to pull it out? I was like, man, my own pastor won't even participate in my illustration. I have some things here. I don't know if you guys have any of these things. I have a a debit card from Bank of America. I'll just hold it this way so no one will quickly take a picture of it. Yes, I am paranoid just like the rest of you of identity theft. I have my debit card, and I have my mileage card. My mileage card, I think I I have an Office Depot card, and I have a Costco card. All of these things, while they have my name on them, all of them, have my name on them? They actually all represent things that belong to whom? To God. All the earth and the fullness thereof. Even yes, the silver and the gold. Even yes, the money are God's. They belong to God. So, so as you look through your wallet and you see some things in there, as Mark, as Mark looks at his uh, three hundred dollars in his pocket and he looks there, and and he he's you know he so ungraciously took it away from from poor uh, uh, Aiden there. But, uh, but even that is, it's not Aiden's nor is it Mark's, actually. It is the Lord's. All of it is the Lord's. The money that you've spent in your life is the Lord's. The money that you will spend in your life is the Lord's. The money that you've made in your life is the Lord's, and the money that you will make in your life is yours. All of it is God's. That makes me stop and think for a second. It makes me pause and analyze the way that I spend my money. Matthew chapter 25. Turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. The first key to remember, first key is remember that all, everything in the world is God's. It belongs to God. Matthew 25, verse 14, this is a parable, a parable known as the parable of the talents. It's a, a parable that Jesus told. Oftentimes, we modernize this parable to the point that we just try to take out the spiritual lessons about it. You know, we, we talk about it's the parable of the talents, and we, we use the talents to illustrate some sort of gift that we have in our life or some sort of uh, 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 a service we can do with our life. But just in a clear look at the scripture, just if we're, we're taking this and we don't modernize it in any way, Jesus is actually also talking about what? Money. He's talking about resources. Uh, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, that was money. To another two, that's money. To another one, and to each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him, and he had received the five ta- and he who had received the five talents excuse me my voice I've been preaching a bit lately You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I... Ab, where I scatter no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has will, more will be given, and he who has an abundance, an, an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. In this story, we see our second key for us to remember if we are going to maximize the money that god has given us and to be generous with it the second key is this god cares about what happens with what he gives to us god cares i think if we paused a little bit more and thought about that when we were utilizing our resources and, said, and, and, and realize that God actually does care that may impact our spending in a little different ways. Everything in the earth is the Lord's, but he gave, it to, he gave it to humanity to handle. He gave it to humanity to make decisions with. But he didn't just give it to you like the rich uncle does or like grandparents used to do. I just want to give you some money. My step-grandmother was the greatest. She used to pull some money out of her pocket. She'd be like, don't tell your grandfather. (laughs) She'd slide into your hand, you know, and it was always like a big bill. It was nice. And she'd say, I don't care how you use it. Just, Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. That's not God. God's not that rich uncle or that rich grandma or whatever it may be that wants to slip that money into your hand. God cares about what we do with our money. This talent shows, this this parable shows that God cares about what we do with the resources that he has given to us. The third key, the third key, God wants us, that we also get from the story, God wants us to be wise investors of his money. Now when I say investors, I am not necessarily talking about the stock market. I'm talking about every decision you make with your possessions, that may include the, the the legalized gambling that we as christians like to do of stock marketing sometimes but i'm talking about every decision you make with your possessions and your finances anybody that does stock markets for a living i'm not condemning there just for the record okay i understand it's a part of our our, our system but every decision we make with your possessions that we make with our possessions our finances God wants us to be wise investors with this. With the finances you don't yet have, yet you may already be spending, he wants us to think about this. If this is the smartest thing to do with the future money he is going to be giving us. He takes very seriously from this story, it seems, how we invest his money. Before I move on, as we think about these keys, I want us to realize why spiritually, it is important for us to understand these three keys. This isn't just about money, it is about our spiritual lives. See, by nature, by nature, well I'll speak for me. By nature, and maybe some of you can relate to this. By nature, I am what's known as selfish. I don't know, parents, if you realize this. If you tell your kids, don't be selfish, They may not have learned it just out of the blue, all right? (laughs) They might have learned it from us. So I, by nature, am selfish. Selfishness is the exact nature, it's the the exact opposite nature of God, who gave up his one and only son, who who poured out for us the abundance and the blessings of heaven and and of his love and of his heart. See, if we remember that all is God's, including money, if we remember that God is, is paying attention to all that we do, if we realize that God wants us to use our brains and think about our decisions, it will help us to get rid of a sense of entitlement that we have towards money, which is selfishness, and instead make a major difference with the money that God gives to us. And we do have entitlement about money. We do have entitlement about money. You know, I have never heard anyone say, I've never heard anyone say, I am sick of giving God's money away to the government. I've never heard that. Nor have I ever heard the government is taxing God right out of business. I've never heard that either. I've heard, you know, The opposite of that, I'm sick of giving my money to the government. I'm sick of God, or or the government is taxing me right out of business. We say it is our money. I can do what I want with my money. We also show our entitlement through other things. Through our phones. I have a friend that will get a phone a couple times a year. Now, if you are in here and you're one of those friends, I'm not speaking of anyone in here, but if you are that person, I love you anyways. But we show a little bit of entitlement that way. Show entitlement with probably the things we purchase in regards to TV. Well, I have a basic cable package, but who has basic cable? Kids, when I young people, when I was, when I was your age, I begged my dad to please just... Do the trial package of basic cable TV so that I could see ESPN just one time or just, you know, for six months. Six months. Have any of you heard of ESPN, the Entertainment Sports Programming Network, right? It's, it's uh, I think, maybe the greatest channel ever invented by humanity. <laughs> I begged, and my dad said, why do we need ESPN? You can watch a game on Sunday morning. You're good to go. That was it. <laughs> okay. But now, man, to have basic TV is, is ridiculous. We, we have cable. And then, wait, I, I, can't, hand, I can't have basic cable? Because then I only get like two news channels and two sports channels. I need the whole package, DirecTV. And then I need whatever other packages that they go to. We show entitlement through these things. We show entitlement by the, the foods that we eat. I don't really need that, but I'm going to buy it anyways. We show entitlement by the cars that we purchase. A million other things we show entitlement. That doesn't mean that all those things are bad. It just means we need to be wise and ask ourselves, are we being wise investors of God's money? And then as God opens the door for the other things, then we can say, okay, thank you, God. Two things wise investors do with God's money and two things they don't. So we wanna be wise investors with God's money. We we wanna do this, how do we do this? Well, three keys. One is we realize that everything is God's and the fullness thereof. Everything that we possess is God's. The second thing is we realize that God cares about what we do with his money that he has given to us. And the third thing, the third key is that we recognize that. That not only does he care, but he wants us to be wise in our investments. He wants us to spend that money wisely. And now how do we become wise investors? Well, become wise investors of God's money. There are two things wise investors of God's money don't do. And probably there's many more. But there's two things wise investors of God's money do do. And so we're just going to look at four things. I'm sure there's many more See, the extras aren't bad if we are living by these four principles, I believe. If we live by these four principles and then we have extra in order to to enjoy that game or in order to enjoy that extra meal or in order to, to do some of those things, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But it's if we aren't doing for God and we're still enjoying those, that's when it becomes the challenge. So we'll start with the thing that they don't do. Things wise investors of God's money don't do. Psalm chapter 49, the 49th Psalm. There in your Bibles. 49th Psalm verses 5 through 13. Psalm 49 verses 5 through 13. Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them people approve of their boasts. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Confidence in what? In money. And later, people boast of their path. And Proverbs 11, 28 says, Whoever trusts in his his riches will fail. The first thing wise investors of God's money do not do is they do not find their security in that money. Too many of us, Put our security in our money. And I can preach this to myself on on many a day. Your money can bring you no true security. It can bring you a temporal level of security, of course. But it can bring you no true and permanent security at all. None. The fool and the stupid alike, the Bible says, must perish and leave their wealth to others. This is referring to those who put their money who put their security in money as fools and stupid. Now, I just want you to know this, that I am only saying this because it's what the Bible says. My mom taught me to never call anyone a fool or stupid. And yet the Bible uses awful strong language to describe those who put their trust in money. The fool or the stupid alike will perish, and all their money will be put, given to others. There is no security that can be found in money. We should all at times walk around our house today, and, or walk around our house at times and say, This home is ultimately no security. This is not my house. When I die, it will go to someone else. Or walk around your car. This is not my car. Just like that, it could be in a trash yard or it could go to someone else. Or whatever your prized possession it is. For me, I should put all my books in the middle of my office and I should say, these are not mine. These are the Lord's. These are the Lord's and not put my security in any of that. There's an old saying that he who dies with the most toys, what? Wins. But the corollary of that is he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? (laughs) There's no security in them. There's no security in them. Too many people in this world are putting their security in money. And the Bible even says, not only are too many people putting their security in money, but it also says, it also says that after they die, after they go away, it says, yet after them, people approve of their boasts. So we in society not only uh, celebrate or People not only in society put their security in money, but those of us in society who may not have money, we celebrate those people when they go, when they're gone. We celebrate their boasts of great riches and, and great wealth. I've read many a, a biography about Rockefeller and many others that are, that are quite interesting. These people are celebrated for the money that they made, for the money that they made. The truth is, The truth is, no matter how much money you have or you don't have, people of both ilks still end up depressed, disappointed, discouraged, suicidal. People of both ilks still worry about money. They still fret about money. But for the wise investor of God's money, there is only one true place to put our security, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only place. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected on this earth. We are all sinners deserving of death. But he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus with the cross bridged that gap. And at the cross is the only place to find true security. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 just the chapter before of our scripture today 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 Matthew Mark Luke John Acts Romans 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 it reads For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by so that you by his poverty might become rich so that you might, by his poverty, might become rich. Maybe not rich monetarily, but rich in security, rich in spirit, rich in the knowledge that this world is not our home. That is the only place, folks, that we will ever find true security. This man, Jesus, is the only place to put your security, not in your wallet, not in your credit card, not in anything you possess. Yes, we talk about our house as security, That is the best investment. Your house is the best earthly investment, they say, for security. We must invest in an education for security. But the only place that is 100% reliable for security is to have our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and make sure we are not trusting in mammon or any man-made thing. So how do I know if I'm putting my security in my money or in possessions? Some good ways to know, just little hints that maybe you're putting too much security in your money. How do you act when you hit a financial crisis? How do you act when money's looking a little bit tight in the home? Does everybody in the house become stressed out because you're stressed out? Does everyone in the house think, where did our loving father or our loving mother go when that happens? How do I act when, I, when, when maybe things are a little bit tight and I, and I wonder how I'm going to make it? How do I treat people? If, if you treat people around you poorly, then maybe you're placing too much security in your money. We need to be like Paul who wrote in the book of Philippians, I am not saying this because I am in need, he said, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Man, that is one of the most popular verses to quote, right? Right? Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we normally quote this, I see this like, you know, in, in gymnasiums, like Christian gymnasiums. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we kind of almost attribute it to God's like, can help us to win a game. You know, or I see football players, I've seen it marked under their eye. Philippians 4, 13. I've seen it all over places. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The context that Paul is speaking of is in the context of saying whether I have money or I don't have money. Whether I'm hungry or, I, or, I'm, or I'm well fed. No matter what my situation, I've learned to be content in all things because God has given me the strength to do that. Can that be said of us? If you were to lose everything today, everything, have you learned to be content because God has given you the strength? Not to win a football game but to be content with much or with nothing. Does this mean that Christians don't care about what happens with money at all? No, absolutely not. Remember the keys. God cares about money, so we care about money. But we don't care to the point that our security is in it because our security is in Christ Jesus and the whole world can take everything away, but it can never take Jesus out of my heart, never. And so that's where my security lies, Remember the keys, God cares, we care. So, the second thing wise investors of God's money don't do, we find the answer to this in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Again, turn there, Proverbs 22, starting with verse 26 and 27. We read, Be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken away? From under you, So God tells us to be content in any situation, even if you lose everything. But then God says, but I don't want you to lose everything, and I'm going to help you to figure out how not to lose everything. Isn't God so nice like that? He says, look, I want you to learn to be content if you have nothing. But I want to help you avoid to have to learn that lesson. And here's one of the ways to do it. Wise investors of God's money, wise investors of God's money, do not spend beyond their means i can tell you something that i believe is almost absolutely foolproof i believe it's an absolute truth if you are spending beyond your means on a consistent basis it will be impossible for you to be generous towards god it will be how do i know this Because if I'm spending beyond my means, I don't have the money to be generous towards God. I don't have the money to be generous towards God. Wise investors of God's money do not spend beyond their means. Proverbs 22, seven tells us that, that The borrower is slave to the lenders. God knows that if we spend beyond our means, we will become financially burdened. And if we become financially burdened, we will become mentally burdened. And if we become mentally burdened, we will also become physically burdened because our mental and our physical are tied together. And if we are financially burdened and therefore mentally burdened and therefore physically burdened, then we are more likely to become spiritually burdened we are more likely to become spiritually burdened. I don't know about you, but I know that when mentally I'm struggling with something or when physically I'm struggling with something, that oftentimes I'm a little more susceptible to the attacks of the devil, to the attacks of the devil. So God doesn't want us to be burdened, not simply because he says, I want all your money, but he knows that that as we're financially burdened, then we're also spiritually more likely to be burdened as well. Wise investors of God's money do not spend beyond their means. Do not spend beyond their means. Now what are two things that wise investors of God's money do do? Wise investors of God's money spend to help those in need. It takes but a cursory reading of scripture to know that God wants us to give to the needy. God wants us to give to those in need. Amazingly enough, many people ignore this principle. But wise investors of God's money don't. They give to the needs of the poor. They give to the needs of the poor. As Paul says in Romans, let him or her give generously. Give generously to those in need. Timothy says, give to the widows who are really in need. I'm glad that he adds really in need there. I just wanna say this. I think that is a key there. And we wanna be careful not to judge but we want to be mindful to give to those who are really in need. There are people in society, there are people in our society, folks, please don't ever look upon the poor and assume that they're lazy. Or don't ever look upon the homeless and assume that, well, if they would just get their act together, they would be out of that situation. There are, there are people that I've known in my life that, that are hard workers that, 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 that try, and yet just one thing or another, they are in a poor situation. But there are people in society that budget. There are people in society that, that do need to spend even beyond their means, and, and do, or who do not spend beyond their means, and they are still in need. My, my mom's mom uh, was divorced by her husband when she was 28 years old. She had four kids. She had four children. She still has those four kids. But she was working up to three jobs, three jobs at a time, She had a nervous breakdown in the midst of all this from all the tension. She was in need. Why did she do all this? Because she was committed to sending her four kids to an Adventist academy, to an Adventist school. We should not look upon those who are poor or who have nothing or who are in need and say, well, it's because it's their own fault or they should know better or if they had just done better. Here's a mother, a single mother, raised four kids, sent them all through Adventist School and worked three jobs and had a nervous breakdown in the process to do it. Why? Because she cared about that. that was important. She, she was someone in need. She needed people to, to reach out and invest in her. In a book about one of my all-time heroes, Martin Luther King Jr., I was reading about how his work with the striking bus workers in Memphis, and it was, it was saying how these men in Memphis were working full-time plus overtime, and yet they were still able to qualify for welfare. Why? Because the pay was so low. They were working full-time plus overtime, yet these striking bus workers, they weren't striking because they were greedy, they were striking because they still qualify for welfare after working over 40 hours after working beyond their limits, they had need. There are folk out there in need, y'all, and we need to be mindful, and we need to give to those people. Because I find that when we give to the needy, when wise investors of God's money give to the needy, again, it breaks that sense of entitlement, and it reminds us of whose money it really is. There are folk in need, but there are also those that are not in need. And we've seen this, too. We see this, too, and we get those requests as well. We get their requests from those in need that have all kinds of things, more possessions than any of us have, and yet they still ask. We don't wanna judge, so I would say it's better to err. Let me, hear, let me say this to you. It's better to err on the side of giving to someone who's not truly in need than to say I'm not gonna to give to those in need at all for fear that I'm, that I'm giving to someone who's not truly in need. Better to err on the side of graciousness. So wise investors of God's money give to those who are in need and there are plenty in need. If you don't know of any, we can, we can help you out with that. In fact, I would say this to you right now. One of the ways that you can give to those in need, we have these bags that are sitting out there at the table at the Thanksgiving basket uh, or at the, at the a table that's marked Thanksgiving uh, baskets and, and, and for our Thanksgiving boxes. I would like to encourage each one of you to go out there after this and to take a bag, take it home and go and buy some food and put the food in it. Can I ask you to do this too? Can I ask you to actually go and buy the food and put the food in it rather than just putting a check? We appreciate when you put a check in there but there's something, too, also about us going out and physically doing something for someone rather than just writing something out. So I wanna encourage you all to do that afterwards. We have those paper bags, there's some paper bags out there. It's just one brown paper bag. If everybody in here does that, we'll be able to feed those literally hundreds of people that, uh, that, that we feed every Thanksgiving uh, at this time of year. So we, so we thank you for that. I thank you for that in advance. But we have people in need, and this is a way that you can give to those in need. Finally, the last thing wise investors of God's money do, or rather understand, they understand this. They understand that 90% of their salary is always more than 100%. 90% of their salary is always more than 100%. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And verse 8. Just before the New Testament. It's the last book. So if you get to a book with starts with an M, but it's Matthew, just go back a few pages and you'll get to Malachi. Malachi chapter three, Malachi chapter three. And verse eight. Or actually, I'm just gonna read verse 10. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Pour test me in this, says God. Test me in this. Test me in this. If you will not give to me, if I will, you will not learn that how much more I can give to you. Before anything else on the budget, Christine and I give our ten percent. And then our next thing that we do, before we do anything else on the budget, we systematically do this every single month. Every single time we get a paycheck, we don't just do it the month because Christina gets paid twice in a month. But every single time, we give our 10%, and then the very next thing we do is we systematically give to church budget, and we systematically give to the building fund. We do this. This This is our systematic process because we've learned, we've learned We've learned that God can do a lot more with 90 or 80 or 75% of our money than he can when we keep all 100 for it for ourselves. We've learned that in our life over and over and over again. Put God first and God comes through. I've tested him, I can testify it's true and I would dare say that if you talk to anybody in here who has been faithful in their life, in stewardship, that they could tell you how God has always done more with less than he did with 100% of the resources. There's this man by the name of Rick Warren. You may have heard of him. And whatever you may think about Rick Warren, one of the things that I am impressed by is his generosity. His generosity. Years before he ever wrote The Purpose Driven Life, So in other words, years before, he made millions of dollars. When he was making a pastoral salary at a small church, he and his wife decided that every year, we are going to give more to God than we did the year before. He said some years, that was 5% more. And he said other years, it was only 1% more. But we kept giving more and more and more to God. And he said, and the more we gave to God, the more we saw the abundance of things begin to to come in. The more we saw the abundance of things begin to come in. He said, then I wrote purpose-driven church and God began to bless us through that means and so we were able to give even more. And then eventually they wrote purpose-driven life. And he said, and when we wrote purpose-driven life, we decided to become reverse tithers. Reverse tithers. And so today... Well, actually, he gives even less than that today. I mean, he gives even more than that today. But they became reverse tithers. He said, we will now live on 10% of our income and we'll give 90% of it away to God. And they've invested in the church and all kinds of things. They have set up clinics all over Africa to help with those who have AIDS and and to preach uh, uh, the gospel over there. So whatever you think of him, I'm impressed by his generosity well, I found out a few years ago, we'd say, man, he's only living on 10% and he gives away 90%. That's impressive. But I found out a few years ago that he's, they've continued that practice of giving a little more each year. And now they're down to living on about 6% and giving the rest away to God. Now, you may say to yourself, well, that's easy if, you make millions of doll- if you've made millions of dollars. By the way, he doesn't take a salary anymore from his church. I love you all. I'm not quite there yet, but... Uh, But you may say, well, that's easy if you've given, if he makes millions of dollars. If you feel that way, then you've obviously never given away a lot of money. I found in my life, the more money I make, the more money we've made, the harder it is. You know, I had given $20 and, you know, I was making $200 as an official refereeing basketball games in college. And oh, I gotta get my tithe, okay, here's my $20. I, I could do that, that wasn't, that wasn't too, too much of a challenge. I've told you stories about how God's grown me in that as well over time. But I remember when Christine and I got married, and I didn't realize how much a nurse could make. (laughs) And they don't even make a ton. But after giving $20 of tithe, the first time I had to write out that check for $400, whoa, that was a lot of money. So I can tell you that if you think, oh, well, who cares, he's made millions of dollars. Folks, if you've made $10 million and you think, oh, it's just nothing to give away $9 million, you obviously have never made $10 million. So folks, let's, let's seek to be generous, let's seek to be generous towards God. But the only way to do that is to be wise investors of God's money. So let's begin there. I want to ask you to pull out your connection cards today. These cards that you got when you came in. We want to pray for you as you pray also in this manner. And while you're getting those out, I just want to let you know that there in that middle rectangle box we have back there are His teams, and we'd love to have you serve on a His team. I can tell you this, and if you're a reporter in here, we welcome you, and we're glad that you're here. We hope you've been blessed in the worship service today. But we had someone from Newsweek magazine that was in our midst a couple weeks ago. We didn't even know about it. They wrote about us, the Spencerville Church, in uh in, in one of their magazines, they're interested in, in our church for some odd reason. I'm not sure why. Um, where's Murray? Does Murray know? Um, I know I did that joke last week. I'm just going to keep on doing it. Um, but, but I just want to say thank you to our His team members because uh, the reporter wrote that he, he felt warmth and invited and engaged when he came in. He was impressed with the diversity of the church, of the ages, of, the, of the, the populace in here, the racial diversity, all of it. And he said it was a very comfortable experience. And he felt very welcomed. So praise the Lord for our His teams. We still need, we'd love to have more of you serving on our His teams. Also there you'll see I would like to serve as an assimilation team sponsor. What is this? Assimilation team sponsor, really quick. This, folks, is simply this, that we have new people join our church all the time and we wanna assimilate them into the family. It's not easy to come into a group this large. So we wanna assimilate them into the family, and we can talk to you more about that. Those are ways that we can be generous with our time towards God. But specifically, back to talking about how we can be generous towards God with our money. My prayer response today is this. I will pray for God to reveal to me how I can be more generous towards his work. And what I mean by that is maybe in somewhere in your life God's going to reveal to you, you know what, you're spending beyond your means here. Maybe God will realize to you that you've, or or reveal to you that you've put your security in him. I believe when we get these things in order, some of these things in order, then we'll be able to be more generous. So ask God to reveal to you how you can be more generous. What is it that's keeping you from being generous towards God? I believe with all my heart that every single person in here has a desire to be generous towards the work of God. But I know many of us struggle with it. And so let us ask God, God, reveal to me how I can get rid of that struggle and, and, and be more generous towards you. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your great love. Lord, help us put our security in you, to trust in you. Help us learn to be content in all things, meaning whether we have much or we have little, help us to be content. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blessings that you poured out on each one of us. May we return unto you generously. Lord, we can never give as generously as you've given to us, but may we return unto you generously all that we can. In your name, Jesus, we pray and we love you. Amen.